Welcome to the Crossview Church Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy the message this morning. For more information, visit us at mycrossview.com. Well, today uh, I had planned on preaching on a very different psalm than what I'm going to preach on today. But uh, earlier in the week, decided to change uh, our focus this morning. So this morning we're gonna we're gonna go through uh, Psalm 97, and we're gonna we're doing so for a very specific reason. And that is that we need to remember in the midst of all that is going on in our lives and in our world that God is still on the throne. Amen? And Psalm 97 is a great way to remember that God is on the throne. We may know this generally, but it's important that this be reinforced to us through scripture uh, because through hearing the scripture, our faith can be encouraged and hope can be ignited in our hearts and minds, right? Whether, whether that's that we need to be reminded that there is hope or we need to realize even in the first place that hope is possible. We can find that in Psalm 97. So I'm really uh, looking forward to it. So I'm going to read the first half of Psalm 97 now and then second half of Psalm 97 in just a few moments. You'll see it on the screen. This is Psalm 97 verses 1 through 6 and it says this. The Lord is king. Let the earth rejoice. Let the farthest coastlands be glad. Dark clouds surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire spreads ahead of him and burns up all his foes. His lightning flashes out across the world. Kind of reminds you of the description of God at the beginning of Revelation chapter 4. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness. Every nation sees his glory. Isn't that a wonderful psalm? It's like, wow, right from the beginning. uh, It's quite a statement, isn't it? What a way to start this psalm. There is no doubt about what the author is trying to communicate right from the beginning. Right from the beginning, this psalm teaches us that the Lord is king. Amen? The Lord is king. And we just sang that wonderful song about in the, the king of kings and proclaiming his majesty. What a great way to kind of come into uh, this time together in worship. But this psalm is a part of a group of psalms, a group of seven other psalms that are called the, uh, the enthronement psalms. And they're all reinforcing this same message, one of putting God on the throne. Uh, the key thing here in these psalms is that it's trying to enthrone God, whether for the first time or again, for its readers. Now, it's cool to see it through all of these seven psalms, but we know that the enthronement of God is a primary theme in the book of Psalms and through the Old Testament, even into the New Testament. We see Jesus reinforcing that as well. But just as a way to kind of look at what all of these psalms are saying together, look at Psalm 93, verse 1. This is another one of the enthronement psalms. It says, the Lord is king. Makes it really clear, right? (laughs) The Lord is king. He is robed in majesty. Indeed, the Lord is robed in majesty and armed with strength. The world stands firm and cannot be shaken. Isn't that great? Have you had an experience even a, a, a somewhat of an of a experience, a general feeling of despair lately on any level. 
for any reason, <laughs> I think maybe for all of us, the answer is yes. There's so much difficulty happening in our lives, in our, in our own country, and around the world. Maybe you might have experienced this in regards to the ongoing pandemic, or maybe the frustration that comes along with it. Maybe you've experienced somewhat of a sense of despair over world, things that are happening in the world, like what's happening in Afghanistan right now. It's tough to know what to do or how to respond. It's tough to even know how to pray, right? It's important for us to remember this morning what these Psalms are telling us. That the Lord is King. Amen. I know, I know that you know that I love the Bible. We all love the Bible. It is so incredible for us. And I've spent the majority of my life studying the Bible in all kinds of different settings. And there's always more to learn, right? That's one of the postures of a disciple of Jesus. When we come to the Bible is we should all be learners. Because we can all learn new things over and over again as the Spirit speaks to us. But I learned something new a little while ago that was significant to my understanding. Um... Of, uh, it helped me through uh, a lot of the difficulty of this past year and a half. Uh, but it also is really helpful for our discussion this morning. And I, I hope you find it just as powerful when we're thinking about how the Lord is king. Did you know that there's a wonderful connection between the idea of rest and the kingship of God in the Old Testament? Uh, and oh, don't we need some rest in these days, right? The good news is we can find it in a pretty significant way uh, in the Lord. So I want to remind you of the very beginning of the story of Genesis. I want to take you back to the creation story, right? At the beginning of Genesis, Genesis we find God creating. Uh, he creates the heavens, the earth, the birds in the air, the fish of the sea. He defines day and night. He creates it all. And at the end of it, he creates humanity, his crowning glory, right? And what does it say about what, that God, what does God do after he's done with all of this creation? Well, in Genesis, it says that God rested. So we often think about and talk about uh, this as acknowledging the importance of rest and Sabbath in our life. And it is that. That's all very true. But has it ever seemed odd to you that God rested? Why does God need to rest? Did he get tired, <laughs> right? That seems kind of weird. <laughs> well, um, we find a little bit more clarity in Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. It looks back on the story of Genesis, and what it says is helpful. And it says, it tells us that God, God rests, but in our translations, in our English translations, it still tells us that God rests, but it's not quite as clear as maybe it is in the original language. Here's what it says in, the ex in Exodus. For six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. But the word for rested here is best translated here in Exodus as God took up his rest. Okay? It's God took up his rest. And when we think about rest, we often think about disengagement and, re and relaxation. Right? That's often, because that's kind of how it works in our lives. But that's not what God does here when he takes up his rest. When God rests, think about where he does that. God rests, it's, it, as, as far as the Old Testament is concerned, it often, God rests in the temple. And where in the temple? On the throne, in the Holy of Holies. God takes up his rest 
on the throne. He doesn't rest on a bed or a recliner or a couch of some sort. God rests on his throne. It's not disengagement, it's engagement. It's not relaxation, it's ruling and reigning. Isn't this incredible? So at the very end of all that God does to create, what does he do? He takes up his rest. He takes up his reign and rule as the rightful king of all things that he created. Isn't that amazing? That is built into this understanding, this word that we find at the end of the creation narrative. And it's essential to understand the story of Genesis and it's vital for us to understand the enthronement psalms that we see or the very theme of God being enthroned in the Bible. This was an aha moment kind of thing for me, which I never realized because I hadn't studied that part of that word. But from the beginning, after God created all things, he didn't disengage and take a nap. <laughs> after the creator of all things looked at his work and said it was good, he's pictured as taking up his throne as king, ruling all things for all time. Amen? This, we have to be reminded, again, from the, the, from the powerful passages here in scripture, that God began to rule from the very beginning and he did not stop. The Lord is king. I've heard people ask before, if God rested on the seventh day, what did he do on the eighth day? <laughs> right? Which is kind of, a, it's, it's, it's funny, but it misses the point. He sat down to rule, taking his rightful place and continued to rule for all time. Jesus affirms it in the New Testament that God is still on the throne, ruling all things. I think this is just powerful. It's incredible when we begin to understand and it puts kind of, it can put some of what we're experiencing, whether in our lives today or in the events that are happening around the world, they are heartbreaking, but we do have faith that God still is on the throne. Amen. Psalm 97, 1, for the Lord is king, let the earth rejoice. The furthest coastlands be glad, dark clouds surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire spreads ahead of him and burns up all his foes. His lightning flashes across the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness and every nation sees, that is, will see, will continue to see his glory. I love it. Now we could stop right there and this is kind of a powerful realization for us, reinforcing that the Lord is king and we need to be reminded of that. But the psalm isn't just a reminder for us that the Lord is king. This psalm and psalms like it also remind us that the, the, of the truth uh, that God's been on the throne from the beginning of all things. And I feel grateful and overwhelmed by that. I think we've experienced a lot of these psalms week by week kind of leaving us a bit overwhelmed by God's mercy and grace. Um, that we can trust, that we can have rest. <laughs> we can rely on God, that he's faithful and he cares for us. He's been doing this a long time, right? And this is good news for us. The psalm helps us recognize that the Lord is king no matter what. That there's no limit or end to his reign. And in spite of the trouble of this world, the sin that is so prevalent in our world, in the midst of all of that, his grace abounds. And his love is spreading through you and me, his hands and feet in this world. 
Look at what it says that his, in Colossians 1. His kingdom has come and to it there is no end. Colossians 1 starting in verse 13. Another well-known passage from the scripture. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and has transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Christ is supreme. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation for through him God created everything and in the heavenly realms and on the earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. What an incredible, this is connecting all of these ideas from New Testament to Old Testament, reinforcing for us the way that the Lord rules, the kingdom that he's invited us to. It can be perspective changing and reorienting, which is really, really important because of where the Psalm, because of where Psalm 97 goes next. Psalm 97 moves into this one line condemnation of what it calls idols. And uh, it's quick, it's only one line, but don't miss its importance and the context in which it comes. Psalm 97 verse 7 says this, Those who worship idols are disgraced. All who brag about their worthless gods, for every god must bow to him. And I love this. This is where the psalm, so it starts really encouraging the Lord is king, and then it's going to ask us to ask a very hard question of ourselves. This verse is fascinating because it's surrounded by verses about the true reign and rule of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The juxtaposition here is fascinating and about as far apart as you can get. It uses this, it it talks about these idols and it uses this word worthless gods. And what it's saying here, the the word worthless gods, it literally means uh, of nothing, having no substance, Empty, full of weakness, and insignificant. That's what this word means. The psalm compares the concept of worthless gods in your life, in our lives, in the lives of the readers, with the real king who is of utmost importance. So in these days of hardship, the question is, where is our hope? What are we trusting in and how do those things compare with the reign and rule of the Lord Almighty, right? The hard part about this psalm is trying to ask, are there idols in our lives that we've been trusting in and we need to reorient ourselves to God because the idols are of they were, they're worth nothing. They're empty. They're powerless and will eventually bow down to the Lord Almighty anyway. <laughs> right? What are you ultimately hoping will help you? Or create a better way forward for the world? It might not be for us something like a carved idol like it was in the ancient world. Instead, the hard question for us is beginning to identify what are those things in our lives? Maybe it's a particular idea, a person, a system of thinking. Maybe that might work out into, for for us, there's a lot of divisiveness is happening in our world around issues of the pandemic, around political ideologies. And the question that we have to ask ourselves is, are any of those coming to that level of idol in our life? Are we putting our hope in, in any of those things? And we're putting that in the perspective of what it says here in Psalm 97. 
The hard work for us is to, for today is to identify and acknowledge our own particular idols. Psalm 97, those who worship idols are disgraced. All who brag about their worthless gods for every god must bow to him. This is the hard spiritual directive uh, or spiritual direction kind of thing that we've got to do. Over and over in the Old Testament, the prophets, those who were God's spokespeople, highlighted the folly of trusting in anything that wasn't God or didn't follow God's ways. And we have, to some degree, uh, especially in the device of reality of these past several years, we have done that. We have maybe, I'm overgeneralizing. I know you all are just incredible spiritual heroes, right? But uh, we have to just, this is, is hard, but we have to con- constantly ask ourselves, where am I just a little bit off in not trusting what the Lord is wanting for me here? So li- listen to this, Jeremiah 10, verse 10 through, or 6 through 10, from the message. I love how this, this puts it so clearly. Pastor Holly and I were laughing about the way that this is said, because it's so great. Uh, Jeremiah 10, verses 6 through 10, it says this. All this is nothing compared to you, O God. You are wondrously great, famously great. Who can fail to be impressed by you, King of the nations? It's your very nature to be worshipped far and wide among the elite of the nations. The best that they can come up with is nothing compared to you. Stupidly, they line them up. A lineup of sticks, good for nothing but making smoke. Gilded with silver foil from Tarshish. Covered up with gold from Uphaz. Hung with violet and purple fabrics. No matter how fancy the sticks, they're still sticks. But God is the real thing, the living God, the eternal king. Amen? Isn't that great? No matter how fancy the idols, they're still idols. They're still sticks. The only thing they're good for is kindling. This psalm reminds its readers, including us, to reconsider God's greatness in the midst of our hardships and to run away from anything like idols in our lives. They are powerless and worth nothing and will ultimately bow before the Lord. Original readers of this psalm would have, the psalm would, maybe would have had this moment of shock as they uh, begin to realize just how powerless the idols that they had in their lives were. And maybe it's a little bit, on some level, it might have been easier for them to recognize this is a carved idol, right? There's a physical object there. It's maybe a little bit different for us. But they begin to realize how powerless their idols were when Yahweh approaches in judgment as king of all things. (laughs) There would have been an, oh wow, what am I doing kind of moment. Even in this, maybe there was a sense of embarrassment as they uh, experienced these things. There's just no comparison between these finite earthly things and the infinite creator of all things. We might need some, calibra- some calibration this morning. Maybe. Where might you need some calib- recalibration uh, this morning in your life? My encouragement for you is to lay bare before the Lord and be willing to ask, what have I been hoping in and trusting in that is not you? <laughs> what is of our own making and does not compare to your will or to your way? That's a hard question to ask, but it's one that we should be asking over and over again, oftentimes as we come before the Lord, because God is the real king, the living God, the eternal king. 
And this works as a wonderful transition to the rest of the psalm. Look at what it says in Psalm uh, 97, 8 through 12. This is the end of the psalm. It says, Jerusalem has heard and rejoiced. All the towns of Judah are glad because of your justice, O Lord. For you, O Lord, are supreme over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. You who love the Lord hate evil. He protects the lives of the godly people and rescues them from the power of the wicked. Light shines on the godly and joy on those whose hearts are right. May all who are godly rejoice in the Lord and praise his holy name. So what's really fun about this psalm is it sets up God as the enthroned king. It asks us to reflect on uh, what, what idols do we have in our lives or things that are completely worthless. And then it reinforces for us the grace and the uh, the grace and the and the blessing of Lord at the begin of the Lord at the beginning of this last section we see a God who is working to put all things right he is a God it says of justice not only should we celebrate God's kingship because he's reigned from the beginning or that he's overwhelmingly powerful but we should also celebrate and recognize his kingship because he is bringing a reign of justice to all creation So remember, one of the ideas that's often connected with justice in the Old Testament is the idea of shalom. We've talked about this a bit uh, previously, but the most basic meaning of shalom is complete or whole. Everything made right in the end. So shalom is like a stone that has a perfect whole shape with no cracks or no breaks. It might also be understood uh, like a, a completed stone wall that has no gaps or missing bricks. It's resting as it should be. That's the idea of shalom. That's peace. That's the Lord's peace. And that is often connected with, in the Old Testament, this idea of justice. That God is working to bring things to shalom. Isn't that beautiful? (laughs) I love that image. Shalom refers to something that's complex with a lot of pieces, but that's in a state of order, completeness, and wholeness. This is the invitation of God that the psalm celebrates for us. We see God's reign and and the working of his justice. And and the psalm ends here talking about these few things that the Lord does for us. We see the psalm conclude uh, with what reigning and ruling and loving king wants from us and what he gives to us. He wants us to love him and to hate evil. And out of that, He does these things for us. It says that he protects our lives, that he rescues us from the wicked. And again, these, we kind of glance over these quick uh, lines here, but they're such significant uh, concepts in the Old Testament with protection. You think about, we're going to go back to the Exodus story, the way that God protected his people when they, when they uh, left Egypt across the desert, that he is a God who rescues and renews and restores That he's a God who gives light and guides and directs our paths. And that he's one that says that gives joy and happiness. That sounds like something that we need in our lives and in the world today. Amen? So as as God's primary interests are to orient his people toward him, to support and preserve his people, uh, he invites us all to loyally keep this covenant relationship that he started. We can have this relationship with the king of kings. 
As members of God's family, we are to love God fervently and have such knowledge of him and his will that we are able to identify where we might have idols and to recognize that those have no place in our conduct or thinking. John Wesley, uh, our our theological father, he would say, uh, so that evil would have no claim upon your affections. (laughs) Isn't that a great way to, to think about it? I love that. God delivers us, his people, from from, uh, wickedness and graciously plants in our hearts a mixture of his love, his light, his gladness. He gives us inner peace and true happiness. These things can only come from from the Lord of creation who is enthroned in our hearts and our minds and in our world. Do not lose hope. God, the Lord is king. Amen? Worship team, would you come back up? The psalmist at the end of this whole progression, this whole journey, is so filled with joy and hope in the Lord that he ends his psalm the way that so many others end. Uh, Especially those final five psalms that are like the exclamation point of praise. He says, may all who are godly rejoice in the Lord. Praise his holy name. I want to read one more time the first six verses of this psalm. Uh, as we kind of, we come to a, a moment of prayer uh, and then we'll end uh, with this last song. The Lord is king. Let us, let the earth rejoice. Let the furthest coastlands be glad. Dark clouds surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire spreads ahead of him and burns up all his foes. His lightning flashes out across the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness and every nation sees his glory. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Oh, I'm so moved by this psalm. I want to enthrone you in my heart and mind. We want to see you enthroned in the world as you created it to be. King over all things. And yet, God, we know we live in a broken world where people choose to enthrone other things in their life. There's so much destruction and brokenness that happens from that. And so, God, we come to you and pray. And say, at least we will do our part to enthrone you the way that you've called us to. And we ask you, King of all things, to move powerfully in our world. To renew hearts, restore minds, rewrite stories. Help us, God, firstly, identify those areas in our life that we might hold up as things we're putting our hope in. We might come and confess those to you and reorient ourselves to your enthronement. God is king of all things. We lift up so many things that are happening in our world. We pray uh, for unity in our country. We pray for unity in the midst of some very divisive issues. Soften hearts and minds. Help us love others and listen. God, help us. We pray for places like Afghanistan. God, we're mindful of those who have lost their lives these last, this last week. We're mindful of the, not only the servicemen and women who died. 
We pray for them. We pray for their families. We lift them up. We, God, we pray for all of the, the Afghans who lost their lives as well. And this struggle of the situation that's so volatile. God, act powerfully in that country. Act powerfully in that situation. And, and help us just come to you regularly and often in prayer. We don't know what we can practically do to help that situation, but we can come to you in prayer and prayer is powerful. You are powerful. And so God, intervene. We trust you. We love you. Work for shalom in this world. And may we be your hands, your feet, your face, your voice as you work to do that here and now. We pray. So God, we just come with open hearts to you in these next couple of moments. Open hearts, open hands, open minds. Have your way with us. Speak clearly to us. Inspire our faith. Give us hope and help us pray boldly. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Would you stand and let's sing this last song together.